Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Yeah, we, we've been living in Germany. Uh, we moved over there in 2013. We've been home on a furlough for a bit. And uh, you can pray for us. We fly to Germany on Wednesday to do some things. Um, and we will be changing cities uh, in our ministry. So you can pray for that as well. But right before we came over to America uh, last year, um, I was driving a car, and uh, our car that we had, and this big red light comes on. And it's, it was literally, it's this big. And it made this loud noise. It was like, doo, dee, doo, dee, doo. and it said, Motorsturkung. And I was like, oh my word, my car is going to like engulf in flames. Like, it's so big and it was so powerful. I'm driving and I remember being at a stoplight and it came on and I'm like, what do I do? So I know enough German to know, well, this means uh, you have a problem with your engine, you know? I mean, Germans want to make you really scared. We have a little light that's like this big and... We just put a tape over it to ignore it. <laughs> they continue to blast this noise. It's like, get this car off the road. So at that point, I'm, you know, you have different options what to do. We've got to figure out, right? Either, number one, we figure out what's going on underneath the hood, right? That's option one, okay? We've got to figure out what's the matter with the engine. Or number two, we can completely ignore it, right? What do you think I did? I did what every good man would do, and I sold the car. <laughs> Moving in two weeks, I'm selling this car. So I told the guy, hey, there's something wrong with the car. I don't know, but you want to buy it? <laughs> now, the reason the check engine light goes on in the car is to tell you, hey, there's a problem under the hood. You need to check out what's going on, and you've got to find out how to fix it. Or you can ignore it. Now, I must say, within the last 24 months, probably all of us felt the effects of COVID and corona, and I feel like sometimes when that happened, a lot of us kind of got into a funk, and we started kind of getting away from what God called us to do as followers of Christ, and we used a lot of excuses, and I know that things were shut down, but again, we almost took a break from God in some ways, and I know that was in my own life. Things were becoming more important that were not of Christ, and I just felt like sometimes the passion wasn't there. And all of a sudden, the check engine light in my heart was going off. And Jesus was saying, hey, you got to check underneath your heart. Because something was wrong with my relationship with God. And, the re and what was going on is I felt like I wasn't engaging the world around me for Jesus like I did before the pandemic. It was like I was just kind of in my own world. And I stopped having the eyes for the world around me. God was showing me I didn't care as much, and I was focused on things instead of people, instead of having the eyes of Jesus for the world. Maybe your heart is going through that today. Maybe your heart's check engine light has been going off for some time, and instead of checking what's the matter with it, you're just ignoring it and putting up that little sticker so you can keep driving. I don't know. I don't know what's going on in your life today, but maybe I'll ask you some questions. I'm going to ask you some questions right now and answer them and find out maybe my check engine light's going on. Okay, I'm going to ask you these questions to see if your check engine light's going on in your heart. Number one, when was the last time I shared the gospel with someone? 
And that doesn't mean a Facebook post. When was the last time I verbally shared the gospel with somebody? If it hasn't been within the last month, last six months especially, if you can't remember the last time you shared the gospel with somebody, you, you have a warning sign going off. How many friends do you have currently right now? Second question. How many friends do you have currently that don't go to church? That are unbelievers. You know this person is not a believer. And, and I'm not talking about the, the neighbor you drive by when you go into your garage and just wave to. It's not a friend. A friend is somebody you've invited to your house to have a meal with. If the number is zero or one, then that warning sign's probably going off. How much time do you spend with unbelievers? If you can't remember the last time you've even spent with an unbeliever, the last time you were actually with one, probably that alarm's going off, that warning sign. And this is the one that uh, I've heard this last question that I was asked where my real big warning light was going off. And this is the question that hit me the hardest. If God answered every prayer request this week in which you prayed for someone to come to know Jesus and enter into a relationship with him, someone specifically, how many people would have believed on Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? How many unbelievers did you pray for this week? If it's zero, your eyes aren't being open for the world around you. So often we answer, so after answering those questions, is your check engine light going off? Has your passion for the story of Jesus Christ lessened in the last couple months? Right now, uh, I've been meeting with a young man who just came to faith, and he asked me, why aren't Christians sharing their faith? He's like, I just became a Christian, and I'm so on fire. I want to tell everybody about this. And he got saved from a crazy lifestyle. I was like, why aren't more people caring? And I explained to him, it's kind of like the first time I ever went into the Alps. I remember being far away and seeing their beauty and just getting closer and closer. And you take pictures like almost every like minute. You're just like, this is beautiful. This is gorgeous. And we're in the car and you drive through and you're like, this is amazing. And you're engulfed by the mountains. And then we get into this little town and you start taking pictures and you're just like, I'm in such awe of the beauty around me. And I'm taking pictures nonstop because I want to capture this. And then I look around of people who live in this little quaint town in the Alps and what? It's just normal. This is what we do. I don't see everybody taking pictures. Why? They're used to living in the Alps. And they're looking at me and they're saying, he's never been here before. <laughs> now often I want to reverse that and say, we are like that with Jesus. When we first come to Christ, we're so in awe of his beauty and what he's done for us we're just taking pictures we're like this is real it's real and then after a while if we've been a christian for 10 years we're like oh yeah you'll get used to it we should never get to that point we need to wake up as if every day is the first day in the alps saying this is real and so today i want to look at a story in the book of matthew if you have your bibles if you go to matthew 9 and I want us to use this story to help discover and see what Jesus did and how he lived intentionally and how we can be intentional like Jesus to share the story of who he is in the gospel. And I hope that through this story we will rediscover our passion for sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. So today if you're taking notes, <clears throat> if you're taking notes, I want to look at three actions that will help us 
intentionally share the gospel with our community. Three actions that will help us intentionally share the gospel with our community. And I'm going to start in verse 9 here of Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. And you can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Number one, first action we must take is this. Number one, go outside the walls of this building. If you want to intentionally reach Richmond, Michigan, if you want to intentionally reach your county here, you need to go outside the walls of this building. And I want to talk about what that means. See, in verse 9, Jesus went, and as he's in his, this city of Capernaum, he goes and he sees Matthew sitting at a tax booth, his job where he was working. Jesus did not find Matthew at a synagogue. Jesus finds the worst of the worst at his job. Okay, Jesus could have called very good religious people to follow him, and he could have gone to the synagogue and be like, you nine guys who are here as leaders, you twelve, I want you to follow me. You guys are really good, you've got good reputation. Jesus doesn't go to where the people are meeting. Jesus instead goes out to seek a man that was viewed as a traitor to his own people. A tax collector, they were hated. They were not liked because they helped the Romans collect taxes. And they would overcharge their own countrymen. They were the traitors of their day. You're like, the IRS is still that. Still getting taxed for things. Nobody likes taxes, and especially back then, because they could cheat you. Jesus seeks those outside the synagogue who need him desperately. Look where Jesus continually finds his disciples. It's at their workplace. Peter, James, John, they're working. Matthew, they're working. It was not in a synagogue. The people who need to become followers of Jesus Christ, the people who need Jesus, guess what? They aren't found here normally on Sundays. Yes, we all need Jesus, but we are followers of Jesus. But the people who need him desperately that don't know Jesus are not here on Sundays, right? The people we are trying to share Jesus with Monday through Saturday, Monday even through Sunday, are not coming to churches on Sunday. There aren't lines of people waiting to come in here. Do you know that? You're like, yeah, we've got empty seats. I've never gone to a church and seen the line so long where I'm like, I don't know how we're going to fit all the people in here. There's not lines where you have to turn people away of unbelievers saying, please let us in. We want to hear what's going on in there. I've never seen it. I've been to 25 churches this year. I haven't seen it once. 
So if that's true, then you'll have the occasional one person that comes, right? Let's praise the Lord. I mean, when they come in, this is the place to be to hear the good news. But if that's true, then we need to see how Jesus lived intentionally and went outside the walls of the synagogue to go reach his disciples to follow him. Jesus does this all the time. He goes outside the walls to where the people are to reach them with the gospel, and he lives intentionally. If we are just relying on people coming to us in this building on Sunday mornings, and if we are just relying that it's the pastor's job to do it, pastor, the attendance was low. Not many people have been saved lately. What are you doing? If we're relying on that to happen as our only means to reach people in Richmond, Michigan, guess what? We've missed exactly what Jesus did. Jesus did not just sit and say, I really hope someone comes on Sunday into this synagogue. No, Jesus lives intentionally and goes out and seeks the lost where they are. So my question to you this morning is, what are the primary ways you are relying on reaching people for Jesus? If your primary way is the pastor better do his job, then you have missed it. If your primary way is I'm just going to pray and hope someone comes in, you missed it. Yes, that's important to pray that someone would come, but you've missed it. If you just rely on your weird Facebook posts that make people feel more strange about Jesus, you've missed it. You've missed it. If you're just relying on the church to send out flyers, you've missed it. If you see the church service as the only avenue for people to come to Christ, then we have missed what Jesus did. Are you open to the opportunities of how Jesus would have lived in Richmond, Michigan to engage the people here? We have to retrain our minds and think that it is all of our jobs to reach Richmond, not just the paid pastoral staff. Jesus commands us to go into the world to share the gospel and to make disciples with everybody. And that great commission is for every Christian. Be purposeful in how you do it. How are you being purposeful? That means go outside Monday through Saturday, get a gym membership, and start, start trying to talk to people. You know, you're like, that sounds weird. Well, guess what? If you don't talk to them, they might be going to hell. That should burden our hearts so much to see people as not just taking up all the treadmills, but these people are going to hell without Jesus. Join a basketball team. Go to the local YMCA. If you like a sport, go join a sport. If you like knitting, if you like crocheting, if you like scrapbooking, I don't even know if that's a thing anymore, find a group. There are groups in this city that meet together. Join a walking group. If you have a dog, join a dog group. And be a light to those people. That's where people congregate. They aren't coming here to congregate. We do because we know Jesus. They don't because they don't know Jesus. Be purposeful in how you live. Maybe there's somebody at your workplace that needs you. Ask them out to go get a coffee. When I was in, I had some different stories, and sometimes I like to share the stories from Germany, but this morning, God just brought to me this, this amazing story of how he saved two people from my workplace years ago. And I want to share that with you.
because it's possible to see it happen. Many years ago, I, I worked cleaning pools, one of the worst jobs you could possibly have. And when I was there, we got to know the people, and I, for a seminary class, our professor was very convicting. He's like, how many of you are sharing Christ? You're like, mm. he's like, you're in here. What are you doing with the news you have? And so I purposely, with the people I work with, said, hey, do you want to start a Bible study? If I do a Bible study, would you like to come and hear about God's word? And there were three, there's four unbelievers. And they said, okay, we'll meet. Let's get together. So we purposefully, I was purposeful. I said, let's get together and read the Bible. I mean, I'm not trying to be sneaky. I said, this is my objective, is to teach you God's word. So we got together. The first meeting, one guy was totally offended, left, never came back. The other three stayed. And through this process, it was amazing to see the blinders of their eyes fall off. And the couple that was there, they got saved. And they got married. And they wrote me a letter. And I looked back at my Facebook today, and I was like, did, they really, did this really happen this many years ago? I was looking at my Facebook messenger this morning. And they did. And they said, you know, we, we, get, we got saved at this, and we just want to thank you in this letter they wrote me. Yeah, amen. And, that, and that's not to say, man, we can all have that story. Do you realize that you work with so many people you come in contact with that you can just say, hey, I'm starting a Bible study for unbelievers. Would you like to come hear about Jesus? You could go to, through your neighborhood and knock on the doors and say, hey, I'm starting a local Bible study in my home on Thursday nights. Would you like to come? We can do this. We can live intentionally. If we live with a purpose to seek people outside the walls like Jesus, you will find Matthews all over the place. The tax collectors who are hated in their society, who need Jesus. You will begin to see the world like Jesus. And that leads us to number two. The second point here, number two. Go on the mission with others. Bring others with you. Go on the mission with others. Bring others with you. Right after Matthew decides to follow Jesus. This is amazing to see the, the progression here in Matthew's life. Matthew invites Jesus and his disciples to his house to have a party. And he intentionally invites his old friends to come to this party. Matthew invites his new friends and Jesus to meet his old friends who don't know Jesus. Matthew lives intentionally, but he doesn't do it alone. Luke 5, we have the same story. In verse 29, it says that Matthew, or Levi, made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and sitters and others reclining at the table with them. And Jesus reclined at the table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Matthew's like, we're going to have the best party ever. <laughs> and Jesus is coming, and that's the way I'm going to invite my old friends to come. They weren't just going to come. What do people come to do? Have a good barbecue. No one says no to a barbecue. Matthew says, we're going to have a barbecue. We're going to celebrate something you've never heard of before. His name's Jesus. So Matthew, his friends were tax collectors and sinners. These were people of bad reputation. And Matthew wants to mix his new friends with his old friends. Why? Because Jesus and his disciples would be able to display to them what light is in a dark world. Matthew wanted to, to be on display what true light looks like. 
What a difference of a Christ follower looks like. And Jesus practiced this with His disciples all the time. They were always in community. They were always together. They didn't send them out singly. They always stayed together on mission. Jesus, even when He sent out the 70, He sent them out by twos. And if you are desiring to live on mission and share the gospel with your community, don't do it alone, but bring others with you. Matthew didn't take on this new chapter of his life alone. He says, I want to bring Jesus and my new friends with me. you got to help me reach my old friends. You have a community of believers in Richmond in this church here today that show you that you are not alone in the world. You're not alone in the world to face this challenge to reach people for Christ. I know it feels like it, but you're not. We are in this together as a body of Christ. The local church, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is the most unbelievable force to watch. Amen? Who else would put 600 weirdos together with all different interests? Nobody. Nobody would do that. The only other thing that brings people together like that is a sports team. That's empty. We come together because the Holy Spirit brings us together. And it's an unstoppable force. That's the church. And when a group of believers are together on mission for Jesus, the world sees the love of Jesus in their hearts and their actions towards one another. That's why Jesus talks about this great apologetic in John 13. He says, they will know you by your love for one another. He says this in verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, my question is, how can the world in Richmond, Michigan know that they, how can those who need Jesus here in Richmond see the greatest apologetic at work if we are never around our Christian friends in them? You ever think about that? He says, they're going to know you're my disciples. They're going to know your love for one another on display when you are together. Well, if the unbelieving world never sees us together, how can they see this great apologetic on display? We should involve our Christian friends to become the friends of our unbelievers. We're going to have a barbecue. I'm going to have 20 Christians and two unbelievers. They're going to see a difference here. They're going to see community here. It doesn't have to be a, an official church event. you know that? People probably won't come to an f- official church event. They'll come go and watch football with you and your friends that are Christians. As a team, you will begin to share Christ and live out the love of Jesus together. And Matthew does not go to this party alone. He brings his new community to meet his old community so that they can see the love of Jesus on display. So why go alone? Why not bring others with you? We sometimes just don't think strategically. Let's think together how we can reach our community together. I have a good friend here in in America, and when I came back, he invited me to come speak to um, this Bible study that he started in his neighborhood. I was like, yeah, I'd love to come. And I get talking to him about how did this Bible study come about, and they've got about you know, 16 guys meeting every Tuesday night who are from the neighborhood. And he said, one night, you know, and his neighbor was not a believer, he's like, I just got so sick of talking about lawns with my friend. I don't want to talk about lawns and pools anymore. He just said, hey, can I tell you about something? I'm a Christian, you know I am, but I want to share with you Jesus and the gospel. And he said, I shared the gospel with him, and he got saved that night. And he was like, whoa. And the guy said, why have we not been telling everybody in this neighborhood about this? So he said, we're going to use my house. 
we're going to have food every Tuesday night, and we are going to start inviting every guy in the neighborhood to come here as we go through the book of Mark, or the book of John, or another book of the Bible. And it was, right? And they're not tricking them. So they went around and said, hey, me and so-and-so, we're going to get together Tuesday nights. We're going to study the Bible, free food, come over. But we're doing it together. So they start inviting guys, and guys start getting saved. And this neighborhood is beginning to get reached for Jesus Christ. Now, not everyone going to the Bible study right now are believers. They're still there, but they didn't want to do it alone. The new believer said, help me reach other people. We've got food. I've got a pool. Invite them over. And slowly but surely, these guys are getting saved because they're working as a team together to reach their neighborhood. Matthew does not go alone. And Christian, I would encourage you, don't go on this mission alone. So how are we purposefully bringing others from our church to help engage our mission field that God has given us? How are we purposefully setting up ways to be together as a group of Christians to be with non-Christians? At our church in Germany, and we did this a lot of different ways. They would do women's breakfasts, and they would invite unbelievers. Hey, we're going to get together, and we're going to have a women's breakfast. Everyone has to eat, right? And when it's free, it's even better. <laughs> Grocery bills are getting high these days. When someone says free food, I come running. <laughs> in men's night, we would do bowling events. We would do uh, uh, different eating events. We would go on trips together. Hey, we're going to do a day trip to this place by an unbelieving friend. What if we as a church said we are going to live on mission together to live normal life and have events in our normal life that involve unbelievers for the purpose that they get to hear us talk about Jesus, live like Jesus, love like Jesus? I guarantee it would transform a community. And that leads us to our third point. Number three, the third action. If we want to intentionally reach Richmond, our community here, number three, we need to learn to love the mess around us. We need to learn to love the mess around us. Jesus is there with his disciples. And of course, we get this great critique from the Pharisees in verse 11. <clears throat> they come to Jesus and they're asking, why is he eating with sinners? And Jesus' response to the Pharisees is, he says this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus goes on to tell them, I want you to learn what this means about mercy and kindness and not your sacrifices. The Pharisees had all of the rituals right. They know the Old Testament better than any of you. Do you know that? They knew their Bibles better than any of us here today. Yet, with all the rituals that they had right from the Old Testament, and they even made up new ones, I mean, they, they were just like, let's add, let's add some more things, right? They still missed the heart of the gospel. Can you believe that? They were relying on all their works and their rituals to think that this is what was pleasing to God. And yes, he cares that we live a righteous, holy life, but he's not pleased based on what we do for him. He's pleased on what Jesus did for us. And so they missed the part of the gospel that said, go and seek the sick and lost who need to be saved because they themselves were not saved. 
And we can also have all the rituals right. You can come to church every Sunday. You can go to a prayer meeting. You can even join events and yet not have a heart for the lost world around us. Can you believe that? We can do that. Guilty as charged. We can have all the rituals right as what a modern-day Christian looks like, yet we are so far from having a heart for the lost in our own backyards. We have to view the world as a doctor's office, not a health spa. It's not a spa. The world around us is actually a doctor's office filled with sick people. I have never gone to a doctor's office and opened the door and found like a luau going on. I've never seen a pig on a spit. I've never seen them like, it has never been like, come on in, we've got a spa in here. What do you want to do? Every time I've gone into a doctor's office, I open the door and I'm always like, why am I here? I'm going to get more sick. So I walk into the doctor's office and sitting to me about maybe like one seat or two seats over is a guy like hawking up a lung. And I kind of look and I'm like, I don't want to be sitting here. So then I go to another seat. And then I realize the guy over here has a really bad fever and is throwing up. And I don't want to be here. And then you go to another seat and there's someone with a really bad rash, just itching. And you're like, I don't want that either. We're trying to get away from the doctor's office. But every time we go to the doctor's office, we're going, why? Because we're sick. So we go to the doctor's office because we're sick. We're involving our lives in some place that we're sick. That's why we go there. And guess what? That's what we expect to find in a doctor's office. Correct? And that's why Jesus gives us this great picture to say the world around you is not a spa. The world around you is a doctor's office filled with people who are broken and needy and super lost. He desires that people would come into a relationship with him. And Jesus knows that those who need a relationship with him are in that doctor's office, broken and bad people in the world. Which, guess what? We all were or are. If you don't know Jesus, you're still broken. If you've already come to know Jesus and have a relationship with him, you were broken and have been redeemed. Our broken and messy lives never stop Jesus from pursuing us. And guess what? It shouldn't stop us from pursuing Richmond, Michigan. Maybe you're asking yourself today, well, what did Jesus really do to love my mess? I mean, I'm a good person. I tithe. I come to church. I'm not a bad guy. Jesus loves people so much that he goes and he seeks us in the midst of our worst crime and actions and sins. That while we were yet sinners, it says Christ died for us. And he loves people so much, he says, I'm not only going to come down from heaven and become fully God, fully man, or become fully man here, and live amongst them, but I'm actually going to die on their behalf because they will never be perfect in this world. I will live a perfect life in your place. And I will die the perfect death in your place so that you can experience a redeemed life through forgiveness and my righteousness. That's why Jesus came down. He says, I'm going to die in your place and my heart is for the lost. My heart is for you in your deepest and worst crimes and sins. 
They need me more than anything else in this world because it's not a doctor's office, or it's not a health spot, it's a doctor's office down there. And Jesus said, go learn what this means, Pharisees. Go learn what it really means to have the gospel invade your broken and sick life. But they never understood it. Why? They never saw themselves as needy or sick or broken. They saw themselves as God's gift on this earth, which they were not. And that's what Jesus says real love is. My love coming to the world and dying for the world. And if we begin to grasp the love that Jesus had for us, that while we were yet sinners in that doctor's office, broken and needy, it will change how we see the world around us. And why is that? Because we have been shown love and experienced love, and we see the world as someone who needs that love. Because I was shown it. But we avoid messy people. We do. It's hard. A couple weeks ago, the kids, uh, I was with my brother and, and his family, and, and the kids wanted to go to Waffle House. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Never closes, never cleans, and we're going to spend money to go there. <laughs> so we went there. If you've never been to Waffle House, you're not missing much. I'm like, I don't think this floor has been cleaned since 1960. <laughs> but we go to this Waffle House, but it was divine purpose why we were there. And we go to this Waffle House, and we sit down, and the water, I mean, it's, it's a mess. The kids are at one table, we're at the other table, and they bring us our water, and right, I just asked the, the waitress, I, I just try to engage them. Hey, how are you doing today? She said, well, not good. Oh, t- tell me about that. Um, my house burned down, and my parents are not around, and I have to take care of all my siblings. And my heart just breaks. Now, I can do one of two things. I can either say, tough breaks, kid. I like this on the menu. (laughs) Or I can look at her and say, this is who Jesus came to save. She needs Jesus. And at that moment, we were able to just pray for her and share with her about the love of Jesus, and at the same time invite her to church and say, listen, we go to a church that wants to help people, and if you need help, we're there. Now what she does with that is her own thing. What Matthew's friends who heard about the gospel, who saw Jesus, that's their decision. But we set the table, and we invite, and we do everything for the mess around us in order for them to come know Jesus. But we always have that option when we're faced with the decision around messy, hard people Do I go towards this mess or do I hit reverse and drive the other way? Our flesh will say drive away. But the Spirit says go. And bring them the good news. We can never forget how Jesus loved us with all of our baggage and sin. And we need to see these lost people as who we were who were just in need of the medicine which is Jesus. And when you begin to see that your life was changed and you have the medicine, guess what? You will radically live differently so that they can get the medicine. You're like, you've got to get this medicine. It will change your life. Our oldest son was born with uh, um, colon problems, a, a large intestinal problem. And we discovered that as a baby, and we didn't know what the problem was, and we were searching out doctors, we were searching out answers, and it didn't matter what it cost, we were going to find help for him. By God's grace, someone put us in connection with somebody else who knew somebody who had something similar, and slowly but surely we begin to find a specialist that can help us after going through many different time, uh, uh, meetings with doctors. 
So we find the specialist, he shows us what the problem was, and we start working on the diagnosis to get the right medicine to help his intestines. Now someone gave us that information, and it actually changed my son's life. It was going to be years of pain and probably surgeries and all these things, but this doctor had the right help to show us what to do. Now after we knew that, what did we do? Do we hold that information to ourselves? No, we were so happy about discovering the specialist who could help diagnose the problem for our son that anybody who has a problem with their uh, GI or, or intestinal problems, we say, there's a great children's doctor that we discovered that saved our son's life in this way. It helped him. And I think this device that they have could help your child too. And guess what? That person is open. And if we view our spiritual life the same way that we have been healed, I want to share with you who healed me. It will radically change our lives. We are just one sick person telling other sick people where to find the great doctor in medicine. So my question is, who is the sick person God has put you in your life? Who is your Matthew that needs the gospel of Jesus Christ? So as I close here, I have a question. For those who are unbelievers today, I don't know who is saved and who is not saved here. But if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are not a believer, I just want to let you know your life is not too messy for Jesus. He actually died for that mess and that sin. And he's saying, if you come to me and you, and you call out on me for salvation, that I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no man comes to the Father but by me, I will offer you forgiveness and take your sin and wash it white as snow. But you got to come to me and say that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Maybe you are a believer here and maybe you've accepted Christ. Is your check engine light on? Have you forgotten the reason why Jesus came to save us? Why Jesus really came? Are all your rituals right yet your heart is far away? Have you forgotten the gospel story? So I want you to answer this question. You are in this person's life for the reason of sharing the gospel with them. And write that name down. Sovereignty is not just that God knows everything, but sovereignty is also that God has placed you in this person's life so that you can be praying for them and sharing Christ with them. God has sovereignly put you in that person's life for that reason. So my question is, are you going to go outside the walls? Are you going to bring others with you? And are you going to intentionally engage the messy? If each of you took one name that you wrote down and you prayed for them and you reached them, this church would then double in a matter of months. Amen? If you're sitting right now and saying, that's not possible, you've missed it. He can do above and beyond what we can think or imagine, it says in Ephesians 3. Christ is, if you can imagine it, it's too small for God. Now, Rich, stop talking crazy like that. We don't want to be too many people here. Yes, we do. We want six services. Sorry, Pastor. But think about that name and reach them for Christ and double this church in a year. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I, I just pray. I, I know that your gospel is so strong and mighty to save and yet we have this 
massive power behind us and for this medicine, and we are so quiet. Jesus, I just pray that we as a church would see Richmond as a mission field and say, how can we be intentional to reach the next Matthew and to show them, Lord, where to go and to live purposely for you? Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.